Michigan. That's the University of Michigan radio station. Wapa wapa do. Um, this is on. This is um. Oh yeah, this is a Catfish Hodge, and you listen to WCBN FM in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Bad radio station. That's a good bad. Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel. And I just wanted to take a quick moment now um, to let you guys know that we've got a website um, up and running. And um, and please check it out. Um, actually, Google it because the site address is a, a little bit clunky. <laughs> so it'll probably just be easier to Google it. But Living Writers does have a website and um, we're getting shows up, um, the more recent shows, and gradually working back through the archives. Um, and also check out... Um, our Instagram. So uh, check us out at Living Writers on Instagram too. Um, last night, I had a chance to talk with poet Gregory Pardlow. Um, and I'm, I'm so it was it was great. Um, so I'll, I'll read his bio. And then we'll get right to the program. Gregory Pardlow's collection Digest out with four way books won the 2015 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. His other honors include fellowships from the Guggenheim Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, and the New York Foundation for the Arts. His first collection, Totem, was selected by Brenda Hillman for the APR Hanukkah Prize in 2007. His memoir and essays, Air Traffic, is forthcoming from Knopf. He teaches in the MFA program at Rutgers University Camden and lives with his family in Brooklyn. Thanks for listening, everyone, and hope you enjoy today's program. Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so happy to be sitting in the studio with Gregory Pardlow. Um, Thanks, T. Welcome. Thank welcome, you Greg. very much. Um, Glad and, to be here. And I should say we're taping the program. It's the, the 6th of December, 2017. Um, uh -huh for the time capsule. <laughs> but thanks so much for coming down to the studio. Absolutely, I, absolutely. You're visiting, you're here in Ann Arbor, you've yeah, given yeah. a reading, a talk. Uh, reading, a lecture, I got to chat with some students, um, 
having lots of meals that's uh, oh. upside. upside. <laughs> well, hopefully some tasty ones. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I know, I know you're probably kind of quite busy. So thanks for coming down to the station yeah, and thanks, fitting, yeah. fitting us in. My Greg. pleasure. It's, yeah. it's great to see you. And thanks for picking the songs for today's show. Yeah. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit about why the first one? Well, uh, you know what? So uh, we were talking about this earlier today. Um, you know, the, the end of year top 10 lists always, you know, are, are of interest and put a lot of pressure on, you know, if you ask me, what are my top five songs? And I'm Shall I ask about, you now? Mm. <laughs> what are your top five? <laughs> You're opening yourself up. For <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so my approach to choosing the songs was just to think about the first things that that came to mind what are what are my various moods and and what are the songs that kind of speak to that um and honestly i don't off the top of my head i'm not sure how radar love came to mind um as the lead song in fact uh yeah so it was like name five kind of iconic gregory pardlow anthems and and yeah so radar love um there was another there was a zz top song um that was number six sungla- it didn't didn't make yeah the, that's it exactly didn't make right right yeah. <laughs> zz top you were almost there yeah yeah but there's a there i think that's the that's one category and there's a a deep r&b category and right and so yeah my uh, depending on the mood as you were saying yeah, right yeah, so yeah. what was the golden earring one like the radar love like what was your like there's what a, did you flash to when you when you hear that um well, I flashed to the eighties. I flashed to my <laughs> to my teenage years, um, and there's a kind of I, the blues. First of all, so there's a there's this roadhouse feel to Radar Love, and uh, and that that walking bass, that driving bass line. Uh, but I'm also uh, a classic rock fan, and and so the Radar Love kind of serves those two interests, brings them to, together. Nicely. Well, thanks for starting us off yeah, with that. And then, yeah. well, you know, we won't keep talking about music the whole time. We'll just dip in and out of it um, because we're here today to to talk about um, your your poems. Um, we've got um, we've got Totem, uh, your first book, your first collection on the table, and we have Digest on the table, um, winner of the 2015 Pulitzer Prize. Um, Digest out with Four Way Books, and Totem is out with Copper Canyon Press, right? Because this was an award winning book chosen by Brenda Hillman. By Brenda Hillman for the uh, American Poetry Review Honickman First Book Prize, and yeah, and it's got an interesting uh, sort of backstory for, of publication because it's actually published by American Poetry Review through Copper Canyon. I'm not sure what the legal, you know, sort of ramifications are, but yeah, but, it's so more I'm complicated. Vaguely, I'm yeah. vaguely familiar with that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but 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 wonderful that it, I'm so glad that we've got both books on the table too. And you're currently you're you're also working right now on a collection, a memoir, a collection of essays. It's a collection of essay, essays. It started out as a memoir and when I submitted it to the who be, actually became my publisher, Knopf, uh sort of working on it some more. Well, no, it's actually it started out as a, a full memoir and then uh over many, many drafts, I worked it into a set of essays, and they were really distinct essays, uh, sort of ruminating on very distinct topics. And then after it got to Knopf in the editing process, we kind of shaped it back more toward a memoir again. 
uh, which how interesting. Yeah, yeah. So it so it has it has this genealogy. You know, I think you can read pick up on the uh, the sort of archaeological layers of it, uh, the strata. Right. Yeah, yeah, as you're as you're going through. And why do you think that? Why well, do you think that was the process like for this? Because it it seems unusual in a way, but maybe it's not. Well, uh, I can tell you my early inclination was more toward the not necessarily experimental, but but certainly a, a poet's investment in language and structure form. Uh, and so the the essays were were doing things that. Um, were probably not suitable for a large market, right? Large commercial uh, appeal. Well, who cares? Yeah, because yeah. Well, that was the, that was originally the approach. Yeah, but you know, and this is this interesting kind of um, uh, trade-off one makes. Uh, I do want the work to reach as many people as possible, right? right? And um, and I don't think I compromised my standards in the in the editing process but it is it is interesting how uh i did have to give up on on uh, some wacky ideas and and uh yeah yeah things that i would have done on my own if it were not you know sort of intended for a a larger market yeah larger. larger readership that's so i mean it is interesting because i said flippantly who cares but of course it's like we're writing because we're reaching out mm-hmm. and you want to reach out yeah. so i guess yeah. there's must be some balance all these wacky things cuz i wish sometimes that we have a camera in here cuz so we could, people could see uh-huh. your expression when you're saying like <laughs> i had to give up on some wacky things so right away i'm intrigued and i wonder you know what they are well, or will they find their way into maybe the next book of poems Poems, or? right yeah yeah so there are a number of ideas that i stumbled across in writing the memoir the, well, the essays that i'm going to transfer into the into the poems structural ideas um um actually concepts that i want to track down and analyze a, a little more that probably had little to do with the, the memoir and just wouldn't be, you know, sort of mm. germane to that conversation. Uh, but I'm nonetheless really fascinated in them. Uh, so I can tell you, translation was one of the really particular issues. And, and I had this, um, well, I grew out of an essay that I did for the National Endowment for um, the Arts about translation. Because um, you had done the, tra- like the, where do you have? I, Who did you translate? You I have trans- a book of translations. Yep, yep. The poet's name is Nils Lingsu, who is a, a Danish poet. And um, yeah, and that was years ago. And since then, I've, I've continued translating sort of um, just recreationally. And I've served on juries of for, for translation and just been sort of peripheral to the translation community. Um, and there are some ideas that I had about the the social value of translation. So not just the this kind of ambassadorial, you know, uh, cultural exchange, which obviously is certainly really important, but also I'm fascinated by the intimacy that occurs when one translates another person's work. I mean, the level of reading is really intensely intimate, yeah. Well, because you're really closely engaging with that, like in this case, this other poet's mind. And and it's almost like surrendering my identity to this other, but it's not, it's still in my head, right? The the other person, the other poet, the other 
uh, writer is not dominating or anything, but I'm, I am submitting to the idea of, of another human being. And yeah, and there's something very freeing and, and intimate and reverent about that. And how did you choose this poet to translate? I came across his work. I was looking for poems to translate because I, I lived in Denmark for a while and yeah, and, um, and I studied the language and I was looking for poems to translate as a, mostly as a way to keep up the language. Also as a way to, as a kind of extra writing exercise to get me started in my, for my day. Mm. And Oh, that's looking, a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. I still, I still do it and, uh, you know, take out my, whatever, actually whatever language it is, it could, it could be Spanish and, or German, um, usually a language that's relatively, you know, readable for, for an English speaker. And I will just, tra- I don't worry about the accuracy of the translation. It's just the process of doing it really kind of uh, tricks me out of my old habits of thinking. And yeah, so it's a, it's a productive exercise for me, a writing exercise for me. Um, what was I saying? Oh, the, so uh, I was looking for Danish poets to translate and I came across Niels's work and, and the way he writes uh, the way he approaches the page is very spatially. And so there, he's not necessarily writing left to right, top to bottom. The The poems are moving around the page mm-hmm. in really interesting ways. And I'm, and I'm, and the, the way he, the way he's constructing, he's not even constructing sentences. Right. And, and so, the, so it's more fragmentary. So it's more, it's fragmentary and the, the, his experiments with grammar were really interesting to me. And I, and while I'm reading it, I'm thinking, man, this would be impossible to what? translate. <laughs> you were seeing that. I was like, this sounds like overwhelming. Like it's hilarious. So then you of course made it so your next was, project. So that was the project. Yeah. So is yeah. he still alive? No, Do absolutely. You? We're the same age. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I apologize. Niels, if you're out there listening, I, cause he, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and after uh, so I published a couple of the translations with a literary journal online, uh, honestly without his permission. Oh wow! So you yeah. hadn't connected so with we him hadn't, at all. So I no point. at that point no. So, um, <laughs> so I we had tried to to find him. I reached out to the publisher and and just to no avail. Um, so we we published thinking, oh, maybe nobody's going to notice it or, or, or be invested. It's not like a big commercial endeavor. And I was really naive about the publishing anyway at the time. But the good thing was that he did come across the translation. And- because he did notice. And he got in touch with me and said, someone has asked me to do a, a book of books uh, or a poem, of my poems in translation in English for a, a festival, a conference I, I love the translations that you did. <laughs> Would you work with me in, in doing, wow. uh, putting together this this uh, new collection? Isn't that amazing how it that can fantastic. happen? Like yeah. you send this this poem out, out into, into the, the world, world right, and right. then this is, then you have this new um, relationship. relationship. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So it was, and then you know it was. Uh, we became friends, and because we're we're working very hard on the work. Via email, mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came to visit New York once, brought his family. And, and so, yeah, we I haven't spoken to him, uh, spoken to him in a long time. But, uh, yeah, there's still we I, I still feel there's a, a, a fond relationship there. Yeah. 
Well, not that you would need this, but I wonder, like, if you're, like, would he translate your poems? But I know that... I'm sure we talked about, I'm sure the idea came up, but... Right, yeah, yeah, we... Because I guess you could do it, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, you might want to keep the autonomy, but it's different. Yeah, no, it's like a a lawyer having himself for a client, you know? (laughs) Not necessarily something you want to do. Um, that's true I hadn't thought of it that yeah, way because yeah. he'll know nuances that are that much I wouldn't have access right. to right yeah and I'm, I'm I think it's a, the poems are a done deal in my mind right right they're, they're already complete they and, are what and they are they are what they, they are themselves. and when he when somebody else comes to the work to translate it they're they're open to right. many more possibilities with the with the language not just with the language obviously with the language but even with the sort of conceptual work behind the poems that you know mm-hmm. the um the uh, everything that's implicated or suggested in terms of social values cultural assumptions and because these things all have to be translated as well right so yeah because it's, it's the feeling of it it's, it's like a, all the layers of yeah, what it's evoking there's in. there's no way of doing a, a word-to-word translation mm-hmm. and and yeah and have it be of any value really it's well it's 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 kind of inspiring i have to say cuz you've like thinking about how you also have this as part of your process hmm. um it feels very generous too where you're going in to look at hmm. other people's poems to be part of this i don't know this like cuz you you think about like you know the continuum like poems from poets from the past mm-hmm. and being in conversation with them when you're reading them and mm-hmm. and this is a way of being in conversation in a global conversation yeah yeah and, and to try to understand and empathize yeah yeah um and we were kind of talking about this earlier today with uh, students which is why it's on my mind but i i'm i am very interested in um sort of getting beyond my little fishbowl of a of a, of awareness in the, in the world any opportunity i can get whether it be physically traveling or reading something someone who thinks very differently about the world than i do i i find that really exciting and and do you think that that's part of what's always informing your work anyway because you don't uh like knowing a bit about your your history right mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. um I don't know, like to sketch it out. Um, you you went to undergrad, you went to Rutgers, you left, you joined the Marine Reserves, and then you went to to Denmark for and then, a while. Yeah, and, I, and, I moved and then Denmark, you and managed a jazz club for your, jazz your grandfather's club. club. Mm-hmm, um, and yeah. then and what then happened? then went back to school. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Actually, there was a moment uh, in between all of that when I, I tried school again just before Denmark. Um, and in fact, that's why I left school was to go to Denmark for the second time. So, so when I went after the jazz club, that was actually my third shot at being an undergraduate. And I started from scratch and I went back with the intention of being an English major and studying literature, <clears throat> which is something I didn't allow myself to do the first, the previous two times. Why was it? Did you feel like you needed something more, more practical? quote unquote? So, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's just the the narrative of a poet in the world just <clears throat> didn't seem to apply. Excuse me, didn't seem to apply to me. Didn't seem to be available to me, um, or to anyone I knew. Right, and, and even beyond class or race or any of these things, I just didn't know. <laughs> didn't have access to to that kind of thinking. Um, 
And yeah, there was a kind of, I had a kind of burn the boats feeling when I went to school the last time. Mm-hmm. Said, I'm, I'm going to do what I enjoy and I'm going to get the most out of my education, <laughs> right? Rather than thinking about this as my pursuit of a degree. Yeah, so that was that was the the motive. And and how old were you then? Would you twenty six? Twenty six. Because that's a very like that's that's a very mature. That's like mm-hmm. a person that knows themselves. Yeah, I, I had been around for a little bit by that time. You know, between the traveling Marine Corps, or the jazz club. Yeah, yeah, it had some. It's experiences. still, but it's still brave. Um, I, I mean, it's weird to say it's brave because I think mm-hmm. that's also natural. It's like. I almost feel like that's what one must do hmm. if you're aware of like uh well yeah what how would we characterize it if uh i don't is it brave or foolhardy <laughs> or selfish even you know so there's, there are many ways to think about it um and maybe it's not necessary to even give it a a label um True. but it's it's unconventional is certainly given given what we are so often taught and told in terms of mm-hmm. what we need to do in life and the ways uh, that one can achieve some class mobility mm-hmm. or you know even ideas of success, what constitutes success, how we measure it, right, yeah. and what we fear, and what we fear certainly, yeah. So all of these things work conspire to keep us in very predictable, proven tracks of, you know, how our narratives of, of how our lives are supposed to, to progress. And all I knew at that, at that point was I didn't like any of them. And the one thing I did like was reading books and, and talking about them. <laughs> so maybe in, impetuous might be another way to think about it. <laughs> And so where did you go back to? So which school did you... So I went back to Rutgers and Camden, where I am currently teaching. And yeah, my first um, my first poetry professor is now the my chair, the chair of my department. And no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she started the MFA program. Lisa Zeidner, she started the MFA program at Rutgers and Camden um, long after I left. And now I'm I back, get to come back and then teach in that, in that program, which I would have been thrilled to see while I was there. But we did have a, a, writers, a summer writers conf- conference while I was there as an undergrad. And so I got to see a number of writers who were out in the world, you know, and came came to campus. And that was also really exciting, something I I certainly relied, was certainly necessary in me beginning to see myself, uh, see possibilities for being in the world as a poet. How so? Can you say more about that? Well, um, who are the first people to come? Yusuf Komenyaka, I think, was the the first poet to, uh, I got to see up close and shake his hand. And in fact, I remember a friend of the show. Oh, is he? Yeah. I, we, uh, during, he was there for the summer writers conference. He gave a reading and he had lunch in the campus cafeteria and, uh, major Jackson, who's another friend of mine and, and he's from Philadelphia as well. Major was having lunch with him and he said, Hey, come along. I said, I'm going to have lunch with Yusuf Kobayaka. Oh my God. (laughs) And we sat down and, and, talked about books 
three guys just sitting around talking about lunch. books over lunch <laughs> and it was just so amazing so cool <laughs> um, let's take a short break and then mm-hmm. we'll come back and we'll talk more today Wonderful. on the program Gregory Pardlow is here we've got his two p- books of poems Digest and Totem on the table with us I'm T. Hetzel we'll be back <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, I'm glad you did. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers. Today on the program, Gregory Pardlow is here in the studio. Um, We've got Reverend Andrew um, at the engineering helm, and we've got Maya West in our studio audience today. (laughs) And and thanks to you all for listening. Um, So before we go back to the conversation, I'll read. um, You've got I want to I love your website. Greg. Um, it's it's it's, it's Pardlow.net, right? Or Pardlow.net. That's Pardlow. right. Yeah. So. And it was designed by Vaughn Fielder. Who oh, shout is, out to Vaughn. Yes. Shout Thanks out to for Vaughn. Absolutely. The from the, from the <laughs> field office. Yeah. Uh, she's a, a scheduling agent and just incredible work and an incredible uh, roster of, of poets who she works with. Ross Gay, Cosma Lee, Ada, Ada Lamone, and quite a number of Tahim Bajaz, Vivi Francis. Oh, right. Vivi, so the, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm sure you. Yeah. Friend of the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I see Vivi comes in here in one of the poems is like the lead name. Vivi is. Yeah, I think. And, and then. Yeah, my her. my closest friend, my dearest friend in the in the poetry world and in life, really. Yeah. Wow. We- <laughs> oh, shout out to Vivi. Shout out to Vivi. Absolutely. Because that's in the poem Cervantes towards the. Mm-hmm, that's the right. End. And then Sorry. Jamal, also friend of the show, yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. This is, um, Jamal, Jamal May. May yep. hum, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, and, and he, he's, the, he's the last name. Ah. It was that intentional? No, like, that wasn't. <laughs> Vivi was certainly intentional. I think when I started the, the list, I, there was a, a kind of idea that, well, the first couple of names are, are going to be privileged. And so I, gotta, I, I do want to think about that. But after, after that, they were just, you know, sort of really random it's as i thought about i mean that poem i'm thinking about community a community of friends and who do i assemble who would be the people i would quote if i were <clears throat> quoting and and how the process of quoting someone you know we're talking about translation the process of of putting someone else's words in in your mouth and uh and representing them somehow you know the relationship that that creates and yeah, so these are the the things that I'm thinking about when I'm listing all of these these various names. And I I also was uh thinking very consciously about um moving between perceived communities, right? And I think I think there's a 
we we tend to think about African American poets, and we think about Asian poets, and then mm-hmm. we think about queer poets and Latino mm-hmm. poets, right? And and but, n- no, we're, these yeah, are poets. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're we're all poets, and I read everybody and and adore everybody, and these are the folks that inspire me, and this is my canon. Put my foot down. <laughs> yeah, and this is and this is sort of a, is a visual way of showing that in this yeah. block that looks mm-hmm. appears like a prose poem, like the the structure of it, and and most are first names. There's only a couple of familiarity. Last names. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I was yeah. like, oh, maybe you call. For example, I think Matthew Zapruder. Maybe you just call him Zapruder. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so no, well, actually, because there are or there are a couple of mats oh, in there. Right. So, yeah, oh, right. So. Okay. It's so it's some. Yeah, I don't mean to make a game of it. But it was like, well, no, that's kind of the intention too, is to to have fun with it, to to look and see. I mean, so I I find myself looking at other people's other poets' books and going through the acknowledgments page, right, and thinking about the community that they're representing by these shout outs really right i mean we're we're both giving homage to and and acknowledging and thanking the people who have influenced our work but it's also a um a statement of hey these are these are my pals these are my friends this is this is my community this is my tribe yeah um yeah, and so that, oh, well, so that how, practice. You, it was very, you've done it in two places then. <laughs> you've got a, multiple well, right. pages of that's it. Right. Yeah. Well, well done, Greg. <laughs> but it's, it's, I don't know, well, since we're talking about it, do you mind mm-hmm. reading the part that leads the... Uh, yeah, the, so the idea, <clears throat> these poems uh, that lead, that start off with a, a quotation... Um, and these are the last poems of the book as well. So we're starting at the end. There's a there's <laughs> an earlier, digest. Oh, the, yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, there there are two series uh, where I'm writing poems in response to uh, quotations, in response to yeah, from uh, the earlier one was or the earlier series was from famous scientists, and uh, this one is from yes, yeah. famous writers. <clears throat> And this, is the, this particular quote is from Cervantes, who writes, If it answers no other purpose, this long catalog of authors will serve to give a surprising look of authority to your book. <laughs> and so in, in thinking about everything we've just been talking about, how responding to that line with a list of all of the authors that give me the authority in the world that right. you know in the sense of inspiration and in the sense of security and voice, and yeah. voice absolutely right yeah um and so there's i'm, I'm hopefully the, the reader picks up on a, a, a number of valences and, and you know sort of sort of, sort of the, the humor and the the seriousness and the sincerity and you know because these are both uh i hope I, in fact, I know a lot of these uh, folks who are on this list are, are chuckling at at, <laughs> at seeing the, the their names, um, and I know a number of folks are endeared by it. You know, mm. and, uh, and I, that's that's all it's all intentional, yeah. And I'm actually getting a little choked up looking at the list now that I'm sitting here with it in front of me. Yeah, it's uh, 
It's also this is feeling I, I get when looking at a like a high school yearbook or something, you know. So if the these the names haven't been at the forefront of my mind lately, I can go through the list and remind myself of all the wonderful people that I've met and, and you know cared about and been felt invested in in one way or another. So yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, well. I'm so glad. I mean, it, it, it's. It's funny because I didn't, the earlier today, I didn't know we would talk about that poem, mm. but I'm so glad mm. we did. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and it's interesting. I guess I don't often get to talk about that poem. Um, I think it's because it on, on one hand, it just seems so self-evident, right? It's a list of names. Right. Ha ha. How cute. <laughs> right. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm glad to, to have the opportunity to sit and, and reflect on it a little more deeply. Yeah. Is it, do you find like, uh, cause you had totem came out, um, gosh, a good, maybe a good 10 years before. Yeah, that's right. Digested. Yeah, very, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it, cause, cause you saying that makes me wonder about what is it like? So if you win like in 2015 Pulitzer prize, um, are you expected to talk about, the same poem like what <laughs> do you get asked only about a few poems or do you feel like you need you have like a responsibility to pull certain poems to the fore forefront when you are talking about the no book or, no not at like, all not at all um there are i i know i'm aware of what the um what the hits are so to speak okay. yeah <laughs> um you love when people shout that at the reading yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Free word. <laughs> they hold up the lighters um yeah, I'm. I do. Uh, there's a there's a kind of uh, deference that I pay to the the fact that the book has a, the honor of a, having a readership as it does, um, and out of deference, as I say to that, I I want to read the the things that that I know are often talked about and reviewed and considered, um, but at the same time, if only to mix it up for myself. I try and you know sort of uh, address or bring in or read and uh, speak to the some of the other poems as well. Well, but, what's what's one you want to talk about? What would hmm. you what would you like to to read? Um, oh my! <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that question. Really? No. Yeah. No. No. Not, no seriously. I mean. And not that that I'm prepared for any question, but there's a you know we we kind of have a sense of where the the conversations go. Um, you know what? Why don't I'd like to maybe talk about copyright for a little bit? It's oh. on page twenty-four, and the idea with this poem, uh, and I think the the reason I don't read this very often is because it has. Well, probably if there's one of the uh, either complaints or strengths of the the book of the the, the poems in, is that most of them have rather long backstories, right? And and people have told me, friends have told me who who have taught this book that um, you know the the conversation there's an awful lot of conversation that that has to take place before reading the poem. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what, but, mm-hmm. but, but yet yeah, you launch the book out into the world without 
those. You you structure the book. You order the poems mm-hmm. so that they're well, within. Well, this goes back to well, yeah, movement. yeah. This goes back to uh, what we we're talking about in terms of reaching a wider market. And I think um, I was once asked what uh, because the book was rejected by an awful lot, a large number of publishers before four-way books accepted it. Martha Rhodes at four-way books accepted it. Yeah, Martha. Yeah, Martha. And somebody asked me uh, once, what did Martha see that the others didn't see? And I think the the difference was that certainly Martha has a very informed eye for, for poetry, but also as an independent press, she's able to publish work that is less mainstream, right? That that might not speak so directly to a commercial uh, audience. In, in fact, that's part of her mission. The mission, right? Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. Shout out did to you, independent publishers. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. did did you ever talk with Martha about it? Like, actually, we, no. I don't think we. I don't think we talked about about this in particular, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, her her decisions, decision making process, and and um and publishing the book. Um, but yeah, yeah, like you said, that's part of her mission in general. Mm-hmm. She's not beholden to the market in the in a way that uh, more commercial presses are. We just have to keep that in mind. I feel yeah. like we have to remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Especially now. Especially now. Which is a phrase now. I find myself saying Same all more, the time, more, right? Greg. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so the copyright, um, and once the book goes out into the world and it's sitting in someone's hands, um, one has the time, if one has the inclination to kind of spend time thinking through the problems, the questions the poems are raising. And um, and very fortunately, somebody spent some time with it. Several people spent some time with it and, um, yeah, and, and brought it to the attention of a very large reading audience. And is it, and so, and it comes almost right centrally in the book. So copyright, yeah, yeah. That's, I don't know if that's intentional oh. necessarily, yeah. <clears throat> um, but Copyright is a play, very corny play on on um, Richard Wright, who is the author of Native Son, uh, whose main character is Bigger Thomas, and Bigger Thomas as a character, uh, Richard Wright sa- has has talked about lifting this character from a newspaper report of uh, uh, a criminal, a black man who was a criminal, and. I started thinking about how that character does not belong. I mean, no character belongs to anybody, but as a figure, you know, thinking about who owns and, and um, uh, who has the authority to write about whom or what. And I was thinking about how he has claimed this character from real life and, and what are the ethic that's kind of, on the surface, what interested me. And then when I looked at the actual article in the Chicago Tribune that Wright got uh, Bigger Thomas from, uh, the Charles Lavelle was the journalist. And the lines that are in uh, italics in the poem, 
his hunched shoulders and long sinewy arms that dangle almost to his knees had none of the charm of speech or manner that is characteristic of so many southern darkies right and this is in the newspaper i mean it, it's actually not that surprising but um and so i'm thinking about how this character of um I just misplaced his name. This character, Robert Nixon, this this person, Robert Nixon, gets distorted by or refracted through, A however lens. you want to put it, yeah, this... the Charles Lavelle for the newspaper article. He is then refracted through Richard Wright for the novel. The novel then gets turned into a stage play and the stage play is written by Paul Green. And so there are all these who you lead with who in the structure. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Cause I, cause I also wanted to create a narrative that would allow me to talk about all the connection that these men, not so coincidentally all have on, uh, on their, in their claims to Richard Nixon, Richard Nixon, oh, the boy, <laughs> Robert that was Nixon. Great for a second, I just went somewhere <laughs> yeah. else. Yeah. I know. Yes, I know where. You're... <laughs> oh, but yeah, but but their claims though, their claims. So they to... they have these these they're making claims on this figure of Robert Nixon, um, and I wanted to have a I wanted to situate those claims within another narrative, and that is the this conflict, this quasi conflict between uh, Paul Green and and Richard Wright. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I, I don't. I can't leave myself out of that right. picture either because I'm now you're writing. The, you're about, the main lens. Now. No, I'm the. I'm yeah. the, my my. In this case, I'm the main lens. Then, which is why that I end the poem with uh, an attempt, although certainly an acknowledged failed attempt, an inevitably failed attempt to give voice to. Someone else, and and you know, I'm thinking about the power dynamics in uh, what it means to give voice to someone else, and right, what we're claim- the kinds of authority that we're claiming in that relationship. Um, the to to for with good intentions, and you know, to uh, unfortunate ends, in that we necessarily refract that person in some way, and you know, um, and maybe aren't acknowledging it, but you are. Here but I'm trying to moment. I'm trying to put to push this idea to to the forefront, right? That there's no way for me to give voice to Robert Nixon, and so his voice, <clears throat> his voice is most most um, closely resembles my own. Yeah, and although I'm, and yes, I'm because, also because you want. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, and I'm trying to distinguish that voice from the voice I've given to Paul Green mm-hmm. from the voice Charles, I've imagined for Charles Richard, Lavelle and yeah. for, right. And the voice I've imagined for Richard Wright um, to kind of let my, my, if I'm the marionette here, I want to dip my hand in, you know, below the, the sight line on, on the stage so that, you know, to acknowledge to the reader, yes, I, I'm also participating in this very thing that I'm, uh, you know, pretending to critique and, 
Yeah. So uh, it, it's kind of like a way of translation too. another kind like you with absolutely. Robert Nixon yeah. here. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, let's let's take a short break. Yeah. And when we come back, will you then will you read copyright for Absolutely, us? Sure. Mm-hmm. OK, um, you're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Gregory Pardlow is here. Um, we've got we're going to hear copyright from Digest when we return. Welcome back. We just took a short break. We didn't give Prince the time he deserved, that's Not for sure. All, yeah. <laughs> I love Prince. Um, but today on Living Writers, Gregory Pardlow is here. And um, just before the break, we were talking about the poem Copyright. Mm-hmm. And so um, would you mind reading it for Absolutely. us now, Absolutely. No, I'd love to. Copyright. Paul Green. Of course, I know the story of the scorpion and the frog. I've known biggers all my life. I've cast down my buckets where I've stood with them, working shoulder to shoulder, our bodies forming a double helix in the fields. And when the mob came for Dick, didn't I sit anyways outside his quarters all night like a jailhouse lawyer, him ignorant of the nature of his custody? It was me who kept the townsmen at bay after he provoked them. My cousin among them had watched him grin and wheedle, consort with white people carelessly, our naive and guileless women, at the civil gathering where he was my ward. And later, because of me, his offense went unanswered, unatoned. I know the hearts of men are governed by the endowments of nature. As some children are faithful, some are made to obey. Charles Lavelle First I had to corner the boy in a thicket of print. He tried to make my happy darky dangerous, make my darky an idea that I couldn't bear to swallow. So I made him a hothouse flower, writing his hunched shoulders and long, sinewy arms that dangle almost to his knees, but warned readers that Nixon, the, quote, brickslayer, as I christened him, had none of the charm of speech or manner that is characteristic of so many southern darkies. I am a gentleman. He is very black almost pure Negro. Withal, I had to cleave that slate with first words in order to get at him, get the nature right, and I could almost hear Stone sing like the brick he used to beat the white woman who discovered him that June day in 38, bagging her Philco radio, as if it were me doing the slaying. Richard Wright One quarter argument, two quarters confession. I engender my experience in the characters, and they thrive. For the balance, I tracked Robert Nixon, the so-called brick-slayer, through rows and columns, finding him breathing in the margins of the Chicago Tribune. I loved that boy like redemption loves a sinner, and saw in him the mute pronouncements of the proletariat, mutiny on the Potemkin. No wonder I was reluctant to ditch the script I wrote with Paul Green, that playwright accused of being a lover of the downtrodden. Much as I wish to avoid controversy, when Orson Welles demanded a bigger without dream sequences, without singing, 
for the Broadway production, I sighed relief. I knew I had to protect my creation from the caustic ministrations of Southern sensibility. By North Star or candlelight, by necessity, I had to spirit him away. Robert Nixon More crucial than the surveillance in the, set in the round house of corrections is the being watched the prisoner faces, raising hairs on the ears. Like the sun's warmth on the back, recognized as light, recognized as presence. White noise, the confinement of plain sight, the vertiginous spin siphoning off the will to question, to doubt, G-forces pinning back the cheeks, inmates reduced to images affixed by the weight of the guard's transparent eyeball, the unreasoning stump of muscle itself prisoned like the figures stenciled on an urn. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so reading this uh, again, I actually hadn't read this uh, in a while. Um, it's it's pretty dense. <laughs> well, yeah. and with the changes of register and voice, right? So it's right. complicated. It's yeah, yeah. It's well, um, yeah, and I'm reminded of uh, how much research I used to do i mean i guess i still do but i haven't done it in a while for a poem i used to do for for poems because there's the this whole story this whole backstory of richard wright at the party at this party with paul green who's a playwright and then this other conflict that the they were fighting over the direction of the you know how the the, the stage play should be worked out or the screenplay should be um how the tone of that should go that, you know, translating it from, from novel to, to stage and screen. Um, and, and then also it sounds like that Paul Green then also had this reputation of being too much for the, like the exactly. proletariat or so. Exactly so that right. would, and so there's, so there's this, yeah, uh, almost, I wondered if, uh, Wright is responding with a little resentment toward the, uh, toward Paul Green's, you know, absolutely good intentions, and could also be read as condescending and right, right. Um, yeah, patronizing, perhaps even. Uh, and so I wanted to, whether they were there in reality, historical reality or not, for the sake of the the poem, I, I wanted to sort of play on those tensions and and just yeah see what I could. You know, make happen on, on this page because mm. from all this research then you have this your your mind enters into all that the imagined exactly yeah tensions yeah um yeah and and so many of my values are are bound up and and yeah my sort of uh cultural critique is bound up in each one of these monologues so yeah yeah <laughs> Well, thank you so much for reading that today, yeah, for choosing that fun. one. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and for and and so right now, when you're you're writing the poems, now I know you're you're working, still wrapping up the the essay collection, on, right? The, and the essay mm-hmm, collection. Mm-hmm. But are you also writing poems? Too? I am writing uh, some poems, and you know, I'm 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 trying to figure out why I'm not happy with them. <laughs> um, and I, I think, yeah, how's that going? I, yeah, yeah. Well, 
you know, I, I've been teaching for a long time and mentoring for a long time. And I, I know enough to take my own medicine once in a while. Um, and I'm aware that I'm de- demanding something of the work that it just hasn't earned yet in terms of revision process, right? I, 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 it's so easy to want the poem to be great right away, you know, and, and I have to put it through its paces and, you know, um, earn the, the breakthroughs that I'm, that I'm looking for in the process of that. I'm also, uh, admittedly self-conscious about the the tone of the the new work i i want to steer away from digest in a way that you know um that gives myself a a kind of distinctive new start and uh approach that isn't overshadowed by by this book yeah and so it can be itself so it can be separate exactly right Yeah. yeah yeah without being Digest Part Two, right? right? Yeah, yeah. The sequel. Well, the, I think Digest does so much, and there's so many different kinds of poems at work in the feelings that are all represented within this one mm-hmm. one book. That I can see that 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 might be daunting, hard, yeah. hard daunting. <laughs> yeah, but I think you're the man for the man for the job, Gregory Pardlow. Because. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I I can't. Well, I can't wait. I well, I mean, I will wait. Obviously, <laughs> I don't need to be pushy. I will wait. Um, but I anticipate eagerly. No, I appreciate and, that. Thanks so much for Very talking much. today. My Greg. pleasure. No, this has been a blast. <laughs> Come yeah. back anytime. Great, great. We'll do. <laughs> and thanks everyone for listening um, today on the program. Gregory Pardlow, his books Digest and Totem. I'm T Hetzel. Until next time. Il faut oublier tout, oublier qui s'enfuit déjà, oublier le temps des malentendus le temps perdu, à savoir comment oublier ces heures qui tuaient parfois de pourquoi le cœur bonheur ne me quitte pas. Ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas. Moi, je t'enfuie des pales de pluie venues de pays où il ne pleut pas. Je creuserai la terre jusqu'après ma mort pour couvrir ton corps doré de lumière. Je ferai en demain l'amour sera roi ou l'amour sera loi ou tout sera rien. Que tu comprendras, je te parlerai de ces amants-là qui ont vu deux fois le cœur s'embraser. Je te raconterai l'histoire de ce bois de n'en vois pas, plus tu rencontrer. Ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas. Ne me quitte pas. 
On a vu souvent rejaillir le feu de l'ancien volcan qu'on croyait trop vu. Il est paraît-il des terres brûlées donnent plus de blé qu'en meilleur avril et qu'on vient le soir pour qu'on ciel flamboie.
Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Daily Sports Report. I'm Daniel Thompson, your host. Joined along me on the other side of the glass is Grace Boyles, Jack Molino, and Brian Samimi. We've got a busy weekend of Michigan athletics coming up. Obviously, we have women's basketball and hockey tonight. The men's team hosts Michigan State in hockey, and we will have that game for you on air here at WCBN 88.3 FM Ann Arbor at 7 o'clock for the faceoff. And, uh, of course, the UCLA game, probably the biggest Michigan athletics event coming up this Saturday. Noon tip-off as Michigan hosts UCLA, who recently lost the biggest star on the team, even if he only was a three-star recruit. I think that's what everyone was talking about. I was looking forward to being in the presence of LeVar Ball, the GOAT. Uh, so I guess it's quick thoughts on the whole UCLA distra- media circus. Do you think that's going to be any kind of distraction? Anyone think that's going to impact the game whatsoever? Maybe a little. I'm thinking about bringing a China flag to the game. I'm not sure if that will be allowed in oh, the stadium. Okay, good. yeah, get in their heads. I like that. Yeah, And then they also had a... I saw that they had a game canceled on, I think, this Monday against Montana because of the wildfires in Southern California. Oh, I was I, I was unaware of that. I mean, yeah, yeah so, I've got friends who go to school down there. Like, finals are getting canceled. They don't know how to get flights back. Like, it's, yeah, that makes sense. I mean. So we got a distracted UCLA team yeah. coming in on Saturday. Maybe we can get in their heads for sure. Yeah, really. Yeah, you got fires, China. I mean, really, that's everything going on <laughs> there. <laughs> Um, I think that it will probably be a problem for UCLA, obviously not uh, for Michigan, but also they've been dealing with this sort of stuff for a while. Um, They've been dealing with LeVar Ball for a while now, too, with Lonzo. Um, I don't see 